Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes and a link to join our private Facebook community at bloggingbistro.com. Well, last week I had a guest on the show. Her name is Samantha Haney. She's a freelance editor and writer. She's written loads of articles, over 100 articles and posts for clients in the mental health and the Christian living and the lifestyle industries. She's also the author of four books. She's done a lot of copy editing. She's editing for a local publishing house. She's taught creative writing and literature. So that's Samantha in a nutshell. We had a fun time last week talking about how to develop a mindset where you put your reader first. And we got going and we're having so much fun that I invited Samantha to come back for a second episode where we're going to talk about carrying that reader first mindset into the editing process. So thank you so much for coming back again, Samantha. Well, thanks for having me back. Listener, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I recommend that you go back and listen to that one first, because I think that a lot of the things that you're going to share with us today, Samantha, carry over from our discussion last week about knowing who your ideal reader is and setting some goals up for the type of writing that you're going to be doing. That's what we're calling the reader first mindset. How does that apply to the editing process? You have to completely switch modes when you move into editing. And again, that process is going to look a little different if you do traditional publishing versus if you do self-publishing. If you're doing traditional publishing, there's a whole team as a part of the editorial process. If you're doing self-publishing or indie publishing, you may just be working with one editor that provides maybe more than one type of editing, or you just may do one pass. So regardless, you're going to be in a completely different mode from when you were writing that first draft. It's all blood, sweat, and tears when you're writing that first draft. And it may be the first time that you've written. It's a huge milestone to hit, but you're not done. It's just the beginning. When I get certain manuscripts, it's kind of like the author's expecting to be done. But how I like to think about it is when you have sent that manuscript off to your editor, you are not placing a completely delicious pie is on my (laughs) mind. It's not like leaving an apple pie on their doorstep. In fact, you're inviting them into your kitchen to critique your crust and fiddle with your filling. You just enter into that, into a completely different stage and one that's going to require there to be a lot of changes. If this is the first time that you're going through it, that can be maybe surprising or maybe not knowing what to expect. And then that can lead to a lot of friction between authors and editors when they are going through that process. This is great because it sounds like from the perspective of an editor, you're going to kind of work in some tips here about how we can communicate effectively with our editors. Yes, that's so important. Freelance freelance editor, correct? Yes, yeah. I've been uh, freelance editing for the past five years and gotten the privilege to work with a lot of of authors, a lot of first-time authors, and edited quite a bit in the faith-based space. And so I have done some fiction, mostly nonfiction, and then, like I said, a lot of that landing in the Christian living base. You said that sending your manuscript to the editor, it's not like giving them that perfect ready to eat apple pie that you're leaving for them on on their doorstep. I love that analogy. (laughs) It's something where they're going to come into your kitchen and they're going to say, I think you need some different spices here, or your crust is not flaky. It's really hard and crunchy and you need to do something about that. What are some ways that when we're working with an editor, you're going to walk us through three ways we can carry the reader first mindset into the editing process. So what's the first thing that we can do? 
The first one, and even though it may seem basic, the reason that, or you've maybe heard it before, but the reason you're hearing it a lot is because it's true and it's important. You need to stay humble about your message. And what I mean by that, because I've edited a lot in the Christian arena, a phrase I've heard more than once when I have provided some commentary or some feedback, and then nothing happens with that suggested change is like, well, God gave me this book. And the implied message is, he gave me this book, and so nothing really needs to be changed. Well, I'm pretty sure God believes in editing in all <laughs> forms. And so whether, I mean, whether you're writing in that space or not, I think it's important to stay humble. Again, we talked about how writing a book is so hard. It's such an endeavor. It's such an undertaking. And you may feel exhausted at the end of it, right? Which I believe that's why you should take some time between that first draft and then when you actually get to your edits. You've put in that much work. I just want to encourage authors to like finish the process, still be engaged in the editing process, even if it's overwhelming. And to help you do that, it's important to stay humble. If you are writing in that faith-based space, you've got to remember that the Lord is the one giving you the ideas. Yes, he's a great initiator. A verse I love is from Isaiah 50. And I actually have it right here. I can read it. It says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. So when I'm reading that, I'm hearing the sovereign Lord gives. He awakens me. He opens my ears. So he's the great initiator and not myself. So my part is to listen and obey that. And also that just helps me keep that in perspective of I'm going to need help in this process. I'm going to need to work with a whole team of people to get this out. It's not just me, this shining messenger on the mountaintop with a message from God. There's a whole lot of other people involved in that process. I love that verse, Isaiah 54 through 5. Those mm-hmm. verses are those are great ones for all of us writers to kind of keep by our sides or to memorize because I hear what you were saying was the sovereign Lord wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. That was the part of that verse that really stood out to me. Listen Mm-hmm. and be instructed. Going back to what you were saying earlier, the finished manuscript is not the complete perfect apple pie that you leave on God's doorstep. It's right. <laughs> it's messy. We need to do some listening. We right. need to be instructing. And then the other part of that verse that really jumped out at me was, I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. Because I think that sometimes when we think that our first draft is perfect, just the way it is, because God gave us the vision for it, I think that that can kind of be being a little bit rebellious and maybe turning away and being a little bit prideful there. But what that verse is saying, at least to me, is open your ear, listen, be open to instruction that comes from God in the form of your editor who's speaking wisdom into the words that you've written, because that's the gift that God has given your editor is that ability to read and to listen and Mm -hmm. to spot places in the manuscript that can be improved so that it makes it a better experience for the person who's ultimately going to be reading your work. That's one of the things that I enjoy the most about editing is I'm able to kind of aggregate all of my life experiences. And this is what any editor would do, right? You're getting someone, not just their actual expertise, their, you know, industry knowledge, but they're bringing all of their experiences to the table too, to help filter through your work and to make it enjoyable for the most amount of people possible. 
I was talking with somebody just yesterday who is in the counseling field in the mental health profession, and they were saying that something like 60 to 75% of the relationship that the counselor has with the counselee is just kind of that body language in being face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom, right? <laughs> or we're not face-to-face anymore, but it, it's the relationship. It's the relationship between the two people. That is so important. How about question number two? How can we carry that reader first mindset into the editing process? The first question that you gave us that we should ask ourselves is, how do I stay humble about my message? What's the second question, Samantha? The next one is how to, how to stay humble about your edits, about those actual mm-hmm. edits. And I think what you were saying, Laura, about the relationship, that's what's going to help you through this process. Um, because what's bound to happen is that there will be an edit, come back, some suggested changes, comments that you do not like for whatever reason it's just not driving with you and it's very easy to get defensive because again writing is an art form this is a work of art it is something that has come from a deep place inside of you and we can feel protective of that and so for someone else to come in and critique our precious work (laughs) of art that that is hard Uh, and I think it's okay to admit that and just acknowledge that but if you focus on building that relationship with your editor and trusting that they are wanting to partner with you we want to partner with you to bring this book into the world and to let it be a great experience I just would encourage you to stay humble about those actual edits and listen to that feedback. You may not be the best judge about your own book, and that can be hard to recognize, but things can sound really great inside your head. And then as they get out into the world and they're kind of echoing out in the space, it it may land differently. It may sound different than what you may be anticipating it. And so when you get that feedback from an editor, it may even be from a, a beta reader. I was talking with some authors recently about feedback that they'd even received from beta readers, and they were surprised by it when they realize, well, this is who's actually going to be reading my book, that was motivating to them to to change and, and make those adjustments. I think that your third question where, where we can carry the reader first mindset into the editing process is very closely related to the second one. So second question being stay humble about your edits. Right. Let's move right into talking about the third question because I think they go hand in hand. Yes, they are connected. And it is just actually communicate. Again, it may be crazy that that I actually have to say that, but I have had <laughs> instances where I have provided, you know, changes or edits and either it gets changed back immediately with no discussion or it's ignored. That's just not the the path that you want to take. Even if it's something that you don't understand or maybe disagree with, just ask. Just ask. Shoot yeah. them a message, uh, reply back on those comments, but keep those lines of communication open because you may not realize where they're coming from. Maybe you could even ask about some similar edits that they've made ask them to give some examples, ask for a compromise, but don't ever just ignore an edit or change it back without even talking about it. Because you would, as a writer and you're working with an editor, then you're saying you would need to assume that the editor made this change or this suggestion for a change for a reason. Right. And so, (laughs) and so as a writer, I want to find out what prompted them to make that suggestion. Why did you want me to change that? Oftentimes, especially when we're communicating largely via words or emails, it's really easy to misinterpret the tone of voice in an email. Right. And even when you're on the phone with somebody, it's sometimes difficult to determine exactly what that person is trying to get across. 
if I'm working on a 200 page document, it's going to be hard to leave cheery comments or, you know, smiley faces on everything to communicate the tone. And so I'm just simply trying to move through the document. And if there is something that's confusing, I'm, I'm happy to explain that. I don't know how it's going to be received on the other end. And so I'm happy to provide that if, if the author needs that. You mentioned that you work with a lot of first-time authors and with a lot of authors who are self-publishing. Are there some typical types of issues or things that need editing that you are seeing commonly in the manuscripts of first-time authors? Yes. There's often a lot of scripture in a person's book, and that's as it should be. But sometimes what I see is sharing long passages of scripture in every single chapter. And I'm talking sometimes 20 to 30 verses. In my mind, what you want to encourage a reader to do is, yes, share your verses because that's going to be supporting whatever topic or whatever point you're trying to get across, but it should inspire the reader to go and study the Word of God for their own. Don't provide just the whole Bible for them. That's often can be kind of a cop-out. Almost Honestly, if you're just putting in these long passages of Scripture, it may seem like your book is really long, but really you're just saying what's already been said. And so I, I think a better tactic is to be a little bit more selective about what kind of verses. And, and that also goes with quoting any type of source, right? You want to have it balanced of like, yes, support whatever point you're making, but it needs to be your, your own words. We're here to read your book. I'm not here to read the Bible. I already have a Bible Mm -hmm. over here that I'm using. Let's say that you're editing somebody's manuscript and it's got 20 Bible verses in a row in one chapter. How do you as an editor communicate with the author client when you see that happening? Like what would be an example of what you might say to them to help them understand that this is a little bit uh, overkill? If there is a whole page or two of verses, then I will highlight and say, like, these verses seem to be really capturing what you're trying to say. Consider just including these and taking out the rest. I won't necessarily say that initially, but if I see that that's a, a repeating problem throughout the manuscript, I'll draw their attention to it because they may not actually even realize that they're doing it, especially if you've written the book over a long period of time and you maybe don't remember where you were mentally as you were working on it. And that, that's just the nature of those types of projects. So I will just maybe highlight a few verses for them or make another suggestion of maybe a different verse. Also, if they use the same one over and over, Again, I don't think that's helpful for a reader because you got to remember if they're seeing a verse on a page, they, you have a book open in front of you. And if you've used the same verse on the left side and then it's again here on the right side, well, they can just look over at that same one. That's another thing that I try and point out for the authors. Do you do that in an email typically or do you do it face to face like on a Zoom call or an audio? How do you usually so- communicate? Uh, so a lot of what I do is just, I, I use Microsoft Word, uh, their uh-huh. track changes feature. And so I will leave that in the comments. But for some clients, I'm able to address that like in a face-to-face call or Zoom Zoom call. And these days, after I get down, done with the first round of edits and I can, I can kind of summarize, here are the common things that I was seeing and here's why I have pulled them out for you to address. And that's something I would add in too about working with an editor or working with uh, any type of vendor who is assisting you in some part of the publication process, because this is something I typically do with a lot of my clients as well. I am a big email person. And I also, like you, Samantha, I do track changes in Word when I'm editing a document. And then I realize, oh yeah, maybe that comment that I made as an editor was not clear to the author what my intention was. Some of my clients will say, you know what, I just need to get on a Zoom call with you because I'm better face-to-face than I am word-to-word at 
figuring out <laughs> what we're each trying to communicate with each other. Yeah. And so I think that sometimes that just depends on the individual that you're working with. To recap, your three points that you've shared are stay humble about your message, stay humble about your edits, and communicate with your editor. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us, Samantha? Yes. As a last thing before you send off that manuscript to your editor, at least run spell check uh, mm. or use Grammarly or something. Yes, it's the editor's job to fix things that you've missed. But when I see something like, especially if it's a repeated misspelling, and I know that those red squiggly lines were looking at you in Microsoft Word, and then now I'm seeing them and they weren't fixed before, that just can come across as being lazy. You wouldn't mm. approach your dentist appointment and not brush your teeth for a week because, you know, it's a dentist's job to clean your teeth. <laughs> at least fix the things that can be checked on check spelling. Do a, a basic read through. Uh, and again, depending on what type of editing you've chosen, that process will look different. Any amount of self-editing that you do beforehand is going to really help your editor focus on what actually needs to be fixed. If I'm fixing a whole bunch of misspellings, I'm still going to do it. That's part of my job. But I like to get into the nitty gritty of helping with flow and helping those words shine even more. If you can just run it through check spelling and grammar, that's going to help your editor mm -hmm. out. I love that. Help your editor to do their job by going back and making sure that the foundational things are in place. Check your spelling, check your punctuation, check yes. your grammar. Leave one space after the period instead Just of one. two or yes. three or four. Or to do a space and then a period and then a space. I fixed a manuscript that had done that and it was yeah. like a 200 page document on that. When I edit manuscripts, that is the number one thing that I immediately do. That's the very first thing I do is a find and replace, is oh, find yeah. all the periods that have two or three spaces after them and replace them with one space after the period. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned, I think, in last week's episode that your mom used to type on a typewriter. Yeah, I'm old enough to be your mom because I learned how to type on a manual typewriter. Yes. Oh my goodness. That was the days when we left two spaces after the period right. for reasons that are still kind of <laughs> befuddling to me. But since the advent of computers back in the late 1970s, we have been leaving one space after the period, not two. Amen. So I'm just putting that out there yes. for anybody who might be listening. One space after one in space. punctuation. <laughs> There's your little editing tip for the day. There you go. Well, Samantha, what a fun time I've had with you here for the last two weeks. I'm so glad you were able to join me on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad I've gotten to share with your audience and hopefully it'll just empower those first-time authors or even if they're not a first-time author to attack the editorial process with more confidence and just understanding of what it's going to look like. Yes. Put your reader first. That yes. is our hallmark. Those are our yes. words for the week. Samantha, where can we go to find out more about you if we want to learn about your services, if we want to follow your blog, if we are just falling in love with you and want to subscribe <laughs> to your email list? My home on the internet is mrshanny.com, M-R-S-H-A-N-N-I.com. And that's where I blog. There's links to my books. There's information about my editing services. It's just all right there. And it sounds like Samantha would be a fabulous person to get hooked up with if you need any assistance in the editing realm. Thanks again, Samantha, for being on the show. I will put the link to mrshanny.com in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com. Thank you, listener, for joining us this week, and I will talk with you again next week.